There's a thread of prayer runs through this amazing church. And then that Christ himself, the risen and exalted Christ, has given every gifting that's necessary for his church to be uh, doing the works that he wants them to do and to enjoy his presence. So not only do we have gifts as individuals, but we have gifted people given to the church from the risen Christ that churches may grow in the spirit of the risen Christ as the apostle, the sent one the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher, and that churches who receive those gifts from Christ will grow to be a people on the move, a people who are sent, a people who are being directed by the Spirit, those who are seeking after those who are lost, and a people who are cared for and care for one another and are well taught and grounded in the truth. This is what the Church of Jesus Christ is about, nothing less than that. And to close our third session on this matter, we are going to look today at two more insights. And on the first one, I just want to give a little bit of a picture, perhaps, of of, of how we see that or how Paul sees it. Uh, Our son, the youngest of the family, but... um, still quite a reasonable age now, (laughs) married a a South African girl. She's a delight. They have two small kids. Uh, And at the moment, they are in the Cayman Islands. He's there with a a law firm. And they may be there for, I don't know, a couple of years, five years. My wife particularly doesn't want them there much more than about three months, but that's already gone by. And so we communicate quite a bit with them on Skype. And so we just email through, said, well, okay, seven o'clock our time, one o'clock theirs, let's have a Skype conversation. And so up, up comes the screen, and we say, oh, hi, and everything else. And while we're talking, it's quite interesting to see that Tim, uh, our son, my son, um, will in conversation sometimes say, now Ben, that's the uh, boy, he's three and a half, uh, yeah, three and a half now. And uh, he'll say, Ben, I told you, now don't do that while I'm speaking. And I thought, gosh, he's just like me. <laughs> he's, t- he's turning out like his old man. But it seems to be working okay. And I can see, as you no doubt, if you've got kids, you can see some of the mannerisms and the things he said. What is pleasing is that uh, some of the mannerisms and, and attitudes seem to be working out looking after his kids well. And it's a, it's a joy to see. It's not only quite humorous in a way. There's a feeling of, that's my boy, you know, come on. You love to see it. Oh, he's turning out well. Thank you, Lord. Plenty of grace into his life, and we appreciate that. And it's a lovely family, and Margaret and I will kind of turn the laptop off off after about an hour, and we just perhaps smile at one and they say, hey, they're doing well, aren't they? And uh, one of the key things that Paul is so thrilled about is mentioned here at least in, in one place in Ephesians 5, and he says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul believes that being imitators of God, the church being imitators of God and living a life of love is both God's intent and is also attainable. It's what we're supposed to be like. You see, Paul writes his letters in a in a particular way. You you probably will see that pattern if you read the scripture a reasonable amount and read his letters. He will take the first part of his letter, laying out absolute amazing, fantastic truths like he's done in the letter to the Ephesians. 
He won't start with telling them what they ought to do. He will start by telling them what God has done and who they are in God's sight and what Christ has done for them and how they're changed because of that relationship with God. And he'll do that sufficiently, as it were, to kind of get into people's thinking and understanding of, of the fact that the sovereign God has done an amazing work in them. Then he'll move to uh, uh, the therefore. Well, because of that, live this way. So it doesn't come through as driven, doesn't come through as legalistic. It comes through as, well, of course you'll live that way now, won't you? So he doesn't say, come on, you're Christians, you should be different. He says, look, what God has done in Christ, therefore live this way. Live a life of love. Be imitate. I mean, what a thing to call. Be imitators of God. Paul, be imitators of God, yeah. Well, you're, you're children, aren't you? So you're going to be imitators of God. All children imitate their parents. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. With God, it's bound to be good. If you imitate God, it's always going to turn out well. And Paul says, hey, isn't it amazing? That can be done. And in fact, that's the, the way of life that in, in Ephesians 4 verse 1, he says, a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's the kind of life worthy of the calling we've received, is that we can live it being imitators of God and living a life of love. It's an active expression of what God has done for us in Christ. It's a display of what true human life is, as God intended it and should be, in relationship with him. Hence, actually, Paul can say things like, I urge you, therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, or chapter uh, verse 3 of chapter 4, make every effort, therefore, to keep the peace and so on. Or in 4, verse 17, I insist, which if he started that way, could seem very kind of autocratic and and uh, pressured. But after what he's explained, he can say, come on, I urge you. There's a different kind of feel, isn't it? It's not, I urge you. It's, come on, now you can do it. That's what you were called for. All that's necessary for you to do, it's available to you. Go and live it. Don't waste the life. Don't kind of have a mediocre life now as the people of God. Get right into the fullness of what God's done for you. Come on, make every effort. It's worth it. I insist you no longer live as the Gentiles do. What are you doing that for? You're not that anymore. You were that. You're not that anymore. And he says that. And the interesting thing is that Peter, in his epistle, will will similarly follow that line. So if you go into Peter's second epistle, you'll find he says this. Um, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he's given us his very great and precious promises that through those you might become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world through evil desires. He says, that's all there for you. Through him, through this, through that. Then he says, make every effort therefore to add to your faith virtue and godliness and brotherly kindness and everything. And finishes off that passage by saying, so you're not ineffective or unproductive. But you actually pave the way for a good entrance into the kingdom of God. He, the, these apostles do the same thing. They're saying the same thing. All this, can you imagine? I mean, I really, I love that passage and I've been impressed by this, just the start of it. His divine power has given us everything for life. I mean, it's great to just get life and godliness. But to know you're getting it by his divine power, whoo, think, well, it 
probably should work then, shouldn't it? <laughs> and he says, okay, when you've understood that, for this very reason, what very reason? Well, because he's given you everything by his divine power. Promises. You can actually partake of his divine nature. Really? Yes, you can. And you can escape the corruption that's in the world through evil desires. Yeah, well, I think I can see that. I think I could if I had his divine nature. Well, you can share it. He's promised you can. And every promise that God has given, as you'll see in Corinthians, is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Every promise he has made. That's why the worship was so lovely. We're focusing on the one who makes that all possible for us. No wonder Paul gets excited, no wonder we get excited. I hope we do anyway. You see, grace is intended to be effective. Peter says, you don't need to be ineffective. Paul will say something similar about himself in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He, he's just said beforehand, he said, I was, I was the worst of, of, of everybody. I, I just went for the church and I, and I got at them. But God called me as if one out of time, really. I, I kind of followed on the line of the other apostles and God in all his grace called me and he said, and by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace within me is not, is not without effect. It's effective. I work harder than all of them. He's talking about the so-called apostles, the false apostles who wormed their way into Corinth. And he says, yet not I, but the grace of God that has worked within me. But he's expecting the grace of God to be effective, to have some kind of outcome. He's not saying, really work hard, and when you get to a certain point, God might help you out. He says, God has given everything freely for you. It will be, it will be effective. And you and I can work hard. There's nothing wrong with working hard when you're doing it from receiving the grace of God. So Paul will talk in Ephesians 4 and verse 20 onwards, just for a few verses, which we'll read in a minute. He will talk about putting off and putting on. And it's associated with how we were taught. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. He's talking about, I don't want you to be like the Gentiles. That's the insisting bit. Verse 17, I insist on it in the law that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, etc. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So he said, this, that's, isn't that what you, you were taught? Surely you heard that way and this should be the same for all of us. As Christians, were you taught this way? Is this how you heard what it was to be in Christ? Hopefully, you did. If you didn't, this is actually how you should have heard. (laughs) And he says this, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, listen, the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Not to be God, but to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul will say something similar. He says, we don't, uh, we've, we've come to know Christ in a different way. We thought about him in the flesh before. Now we know him in a different way because we've seen him for really who he is. And he says, there's something happened to you that makes you similarly changed, he says. Behold, in Christ you've become a new creation. 
The old has passed away, the new has come. And the actual words uh, we we put in have have become a new creation. It's actually, uh, in Christ you are new creation. It's, It's more kind of powerful. It's suddenly new creation. In Christ Steve, new creation. It's not, it's, it's, it's quicker and sharper than you have become a new creation. Both mean the same thing, but it's got that kind of pong to it like that. Now, a creation wasn't there before. Otherwise it wouldn't be creation, would it? And when we are, when we come into Christ, what we are now never existed before. And what we were before doesn't exist now. And Paul says, you, you need to get hold of this. You're not slightly improved. You won't get there if you really try hard. You are absolutely new creation. And he says it here too, you're created to be like God. Uh, in, in true, you could say, you're newly created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You and I were created once and came into the flesh and blood that we are. When we come to Christ, we're created again, if I can put it that way, and we're a new creature in Christ, a new creature, a creation in Christ. And that is what we are. And part of our teaching and how we are taught is understanding that, therefore I can put off what I used to be because I'm not that anymore, and I can put on what I'm supposed to be because that's what I am now. We've been doing, just starting recently, a Freedom in Christ course. A few of us went through it on a kind of pilot course, including Margaret and myself, Margaret and my wife. We've been Christians a lot of years. <laughs> but it's been incredibly helpful. And now we're starting another course, and we just put it out to the church, and we said there's 24 is the line. We can't take any more than that. We had them within about two weeks, 24 people, and then we got a reserve list for the next one. Because people somehow have caught it. And one of the things, if you've been through it, you'll know is this, that it's very simply but powerfully says, you need to know the truth and you need to know the lies and proceed accordingly. <laughs> if such and such a thing, you're saying such and such, well, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm really, you know, there yet. I, I don't know. I'm trying to be a Christian. You're saying that's a lie. So I see it for what it is. It's a lie. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, yes, it's your, a new creation. I don't feel like that. That's the truth. Live by it. Put that lie off. In fact, renounce it. And take this truth on and glorious, glor- joy, joyfully accept it. And that's the way the course goes through, as you will see. And it leads up to, up to eight, nine sessions to a Steps to Freedom day when you run through certain factors of your life. Having f- discovered or, or found afresh this sense of, I know, ah, this is the way we approach it. So in this area where my life was troubled and everything else, what, what's the point? What are we coming to now? Well, the lies are that you are now still like this. Or that thing that happened to you has affected your life. You're building your future on your past. No, don't do that. The only thing you build your future on in your past is the fact you were gloriously saved. And you find it's powerful. And certainly Margaret and myself have found it a huge help. But the basis of it is that fact. You need to know who you are in Christ and you, you were taught that way. So be good, good uh, pupils and start putting on 
and putting off. We've got four kids. I've already said one, one son and we've got three daughters. And all the daughters got married first and then the son got married. Uh, at every one of my daughter's weddings, not surprisingly, I gave them away and I was also at my son's and, uh, and that was great. And, and in the day that the weddings came up, um, I possibly might be dressed quite casually, might be even dressed in some kind of scruffy clothes because I was going to be there at the, the, the reception place or the wedding place to put some flowers out or help Margaret put some flowers out. I can't do flowers, but she can do them beautifully. And, and take all the cuttings and everything away. So I didn't want to get anything too smart, mucky, so I might have some old clothes on. But when it got near to the actual time for the service, I changed into into clothing that was appropriate for the occasion. So when I walked my beautiful daughters down the aisle, I was looking pretty smart too, actually. And had I got down in my scruffy clothes, I would still would have been her father, and she still would have been my daughter, but it wouldn't have been really very appropriate, would it? <laughs> and Paul is saying, well, put on the appropriate clothes for being a new person in Christ. You can wear the others and you'll still be a son of God. But is it really appropriate? Is it really appropriate to wear uh, deceitful clothes or lying clothes or critical clothes or angry clothes? Well, you'll still be a child of God, but it's not good really, is it? Put on the peace and and put on the encouragement of other people. That's what you are now. You're like Jesus. You're being shaped more and more like him. That's what God's got in mind for you and me. We're going to be sons like his son. That includes women, by the way. Put it on. That's faith. Faith is believing what God says and doing it. So that's the first thing that he... uh a first section of this this first insight that Paul says we can be imitators of God and we can live a life of love and we're supposed to that's what we're called to and it will come out secondly in this that there is a lifestyle which contrasts with the world yet is lived out by demonstration in the world on a day-to-day basis and we might say how can we do that Well, the scripture, as you go into chapter 5, and particularly from verse 15 on, right through into 6 verse 9, talks about a life in the Spirit. This is this is the key. Paul is saying you've got to live a life in the Spirit. So in verse 15 of chapter 5, he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, or be being filled, literally, with the Spirit as a continuum. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. And sometimes, no doubt in your Bibles, you've got... Subheadings. Sometimes they're a nuisance. And then you've got chapter six, and it's an, it can be a nuisance. Hope I'm forgiven for that, for the translator. You, sometimes you just need to let it flow on. And, and so, oh, we've done that section, now what does this section say? Well, they're actually all together. 
How do you live being a husband and a wife? How do you live being parents? How do you live being children? How do you live being employers? How do you live being employees? By the Spirit. That's how you live in an evil and perverse generation, shining as lights, as he says elsewhere. That's why he's saying, now careful, be wise. You know it won't work if you get worldly. It works if you'll drink the Spirit and live by the Spirit, all of you. And the lifestyle will be seen particularly with a concentration on the fabric of society, which is marriage, family, and work. It will also cover all other areas of life or involved in those three sections because verse uh, 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not just husbands and wives, etc., and parents and children. It, it comes out, that's why the break there doesn't help. It's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives submit, these are just some examples, some key examples, but they're just examples. Everybody submits to one another out of reverence for Christ, having been filled with the Spirit. That's why you can speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's a good atmosphere among God's people. Paul says, this church is extraordinary. Where else can you find that? You can't find that anywhere else. And there are loads of people, whether they know it or not, who would love to get into that kind of atmosphere and that kind of family. You see, Ephesians 3.10, which we've probably touched on before, uh, God has intended to show his wisdom through the church to bring powers into subjection to Christ. And the powers are probably things like education, law, health, politics, equality, economy, ecology, art, science, etc., etc. It's what makes up the world. And some of those powers are perverted, well, not all of those powers are perverted by the evil one. That's why they're all going wrong. And have you noticed nowadays God is peeling off every cover from every situation and exposing all the perversity that's in them? No one is out of his attention, whether it's politicians or it's bankers or it's health officials or whatever. It's all suddenly coming to light, isn't it? In a frightening way. I don't know whether non-believers realize it, but there's a judgment going on, I think, where God's saying, look at it. Look at the reality. Look at the reality. And in that, God has said, my people, my church, which I will keep on increasing, will live in a way that seems like ordinary day-to-day life, but it is powerfully affecting these powers and can change them. If that seems big... What we can change politics, we can change health, we can change the law, we can change education. Remember, it is God's way to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Chapter 3, verse 20. In the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's that big. That's why Paul gets excited about the church and why he wants his readers, do you understand this? Drink it in, take it in. This is who you are. We're not talking about Christianizing or universalism, but rather a definite and growing kingdom of God effect. Let me tell you about a few things. There's a young lady who's been in the, is in the church and has been working full time within the church for a couple of years, involved with a thing called prayer spaces in schools. It comes out of 24-7 prayer. 
And she, with others, go, it goes into school for maybe four or five days of, of, of a particular week. They're given a classroom, and they put the classroom out into different stations where youngsters can come in, and a class will come in for 40 minutes or so. They'll be allowed in. Uh, they sit them down. She tells them this is a place where you can pray. Uh, this is from a Christian point of view. She makes that quite clear. There are some scriptures on the walls, but there are some areas where it helps children to think. There's a bubble tube where they can write things on, on post-it notes and put them on there with a sense of that going to God. Uh, and she's very carefully explaining, you know, this is, a, the Christian actually believes that he or she can talk to God and hear from God. This may help you, not promising anything, just saying that's what's going on. Um, it is working amazingly, and if you go and read these post-it notes afterwards, because they're clicked up, they are extraordinary, some of the things the kids are writing on them. So they're talking about their, please look after my, my granddad, he's not well. Or, dear God, why, why has my mum left my dad? Or, what happens, God, when we die? And, and it's, it's powerful stuff. And interesting enough, they've gone into primary school, at, or junior, whatever they're called nowadays, and senior schools. And you can get one written by a six-year-old and one written by a 16-year-old. They're almost, almost identical. Asking the same things. With all their cool way. They're still asking, what's it all about, Lord? And the schools have really appreciated them, even those who have no Church of England connection or anything like that. Uh, one or two have been a bit wary, yeah, okay, you can come in, but by the end of the week, they think it's amazing. One school that we're working with, a secondary school, have actually asked or discussed with us about having a permanent prayer space, Christian prayer space in the school. They've given a room for it, permanent. <laughs> We've now got to make it work. <laughs> Margaret was saying a few weeks ago, she was listening on radio to a, uh, a Radio 4, I think it was, on some kind of interview that was going on, on uh, some afternoon show, and they were talking to a person from CAP, Christians Against Poverty, about the work they were doing, helping people who are in debt and everything else, taking it quite seriously, quite an interesting interview, no kind of mockery or anything like that, listening intently, asking questions. You know, J. John, the evangelist, he was asked, would he and his wife go in to pray for a lady who was in a coma um, in hospital? And uh, uh, the relatives of the family kind of knew about J. John and knew he was a kind of vicar man and said, would you please go in and pray with her? So he said, yes, of course I will. So he and his wife went in to pray and they thought, whatever do we do? So they sat each side of the bed, they held one hand each and they said, We'll pray the Lord's Prayer. So so praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. When they said thy kingdom come, she sat up in bed and was discharged the next day. <laughs> you see, the church and the kingdom of God can affect this situation. We don't know to what degree before our dear Lord returns, but as much as we possibly can, folks. Let's believe for that. Now that leads to the second insight, if that's the right word for it, that Paul um, is 
is keen for us to understand. And that is in chapter 6 and verse 10 to 20, a very famous um, passage there. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Talks about putting on the full armor of God. You see, because Paul knows we must have, and we actually do have the right supplies and armor for the battle with the devil. Because um, he's saying, finally, you need to know this, there is a battle going on. And notice he says he starts with Christ, he finishes with the devil. He doesn't start with the devil, saying, oh, we're in a terrible place, I hope we can make it through. No, he puts Christ through for five chapters that we've got there, five and a half, six and a half chapters. Then he says, finally, you need to know this, there is a battle going on, but you're going to have everything you need for the battle. Because the fact is this, Satan will want to stop the kind of church we're describing. He's quite happy with churches that don't believe the truth and very liberal and and kind of very settled and so well, it's no problem to him, is it? But the likes of you are are a nuisance to the dark kingdom. It's quite right too. But he won't like it. He will have a go at it. You see, as it says in here, the fight is not against flesh and blood. Sometimes it feels like it. Some of the things that have been made recently, the decision that was made on Tuesday night, oh dear, these people. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the devil. And Jesus said this, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church he was building. By the way, gates don't move. So it's not the gates attacking us, it's us attacking the gates. So when we come against the things of the evil one, and it's not by shouting at him in the sky, it's by doing the things that are truth, as we will see a little bit later. Those gates would love to stop the advance of the church, but they can't. They would love to stop prisoners being set free, but they can't. They would love to stop good things coming into schools and, and into business and, and into families, and they can't. Because this church is too powerful. It's, belong, it's the church that belongs to the Christ, who has been given all authority in heaven and earth, both in this present age and in the age to come. The enemy does have schemes. It says in verse 11 there, um, uh, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. (laughs) I think we've got to stand by the reading those scriptures there. And he does have schemes. And elsewhere, Paul says this, we, we mustn't be ignorant of his ways, of his schemes. Sorry, I keep touching that. We need to recognize them and avoid them as a church. We're talking about freedom in Christ. That's really quite often for individuals, really, although it blesses the church as a whole. This, we're talking about something more corporate. We as a church need to recognize that. And just very swiftly, I, I felt over the last six to nine months, I've just thought something of what are the schemes? And you don't have to go very far in the scripture before you found that the first one is in Eden. Has God said? You won't die. He knows when you eat of that fruit that you'll be like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. You take control of your life. You can't trust God 
what he says is just out of date. Just get up to date, church. Come on, for goodness sake, get up to date. The public are saying, what's the matter with them? They're way behind. They're in Victorian times and everything. No, we're further back than that, actually. We're in eternity. And that's a scheme. The scheme is this. He will say, you can't trust God. He's not really up to date. I mean, you will really look stupid if you follow some of the things he says. Why don't you kind of go along and work it out? So, you know, you, you, you know what to do. You know what's right and what's wrong. You know that everybody's okay, really. It's all lies. That's part of his, his schemes. He's also a liar. Jesus said he's the father of lies. He's a liar from the beginning. Everything he tells you is a lie. Everything he tells you is a lie. Ah, okay. Recognize that then. Let's do something about it. He's an accuser. Revelation says he's accuser of the brethren. He accuses them day and night. They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. The word of their testimony, they love not their lives even unto death. They have a way of seeing the scheme and overcoming it. So he accuses you, you're hopeless. You don't do anything right. You're always failing, either as an individual or as a church. You say, well, one, that's a lie. Two, it's an accusation. I'm not going to receive an accusation. I'm not going to come under condemnation. I'm hopeless if I come under condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Has anybody got a charge against against you? Christ will sort it out. Anyway, he's died for me, and his blood has settled it all. God sees the blood and says, it's fine, you're accepted. You're just. You're justified. We need to know his schemes and stand against them. Jesus said to his disciples, he's a thief. He only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. To try and steal what is rightfully yours as a child of God. He'll try and kill the life of Christ in you. He'll try and destroy anything you put your hand to that will glorify God. Jesus said, recognize that. And then he says, but I have come that you might have life and have it in its abundance. See, it's not just, oh gosh, he's like that. That's a shame. God says, no, he's like that. You need to know that and you need to know this. I've come that you might have life and have it in its fullness. He's like a roaring lion. He says, like a roaring lion. Makes a lot of noise sometimes. And he can be a bit scary. But he's just like a roaring lion. You could stand right up next to his mouth and you'd still be safe. Don't necessarily want to do that. He's a deceiver and people who are deceived don't know they're deceived, otherwise they wouldn't be deceived. So we sometimes have to think things through. What's going on here? Hang on, why are people behaving in this way? Why am I behaving in this way? Well, you've been deceived. Ah, I thought I was okay, but I'm not okay. I might have just looked at the truth. I'm not okay. And we recognize these schemes, and as an individual, certainly, but as a people, we stand together against them. So even as a church, we can see sometimes the schemes he will try against a church. He might try and bring in some difference of opinions that grow into division. Or he might bring in some kind of lethargy. So... um, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work and the others are just there. We need to sit, no, 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 hang on a minute, that's not right, that's stealing. 
what all these people who are precious jewels of God in Christ, all the gifting he's put within them, every part doing its work, we're getting stolen here. Things that we're supposed to be are trying to be killed. We're not having it. Paul says you're in this battle. Finally, you do need to know this. He says this is bound to have a battle when you build that kind of church or let Jesus build that kind of church. And secondly, in this part, he says, but nevertheless, you have the right supplies. When we were, when the, the troops were in Afghanistan in the first three or four years, you may remember that there were quite a lot of articles in the paper about the British military that they were under-resourced. They didn't have the right kind of body armor or they didn't have the right kind of trucks. They were no, de- no defense against the um, bombs that were put at the side of the road or in the road. And so people were getting maimed or killed and there was quite a lot of hoo-ha and complaint about they're not getting the kind of battle equipment they should have to fight this kind of battle. And so that began to be changed. That's not the case in God's army. We have the armour we need. And this, by the way, is for a corporate life because you don't send one soldier to fight the full battle. And so we read these things individually. Yes, they do have their place individually, but they have much more a place, I feel, in the corporate setting. So you as a church recognize this, that our full armor is provided by God through the work of Jesus. And you will find this is what it consists of. And and, and this time it's for battle against the works of the evil one. It's not evil one. It's not just for you being understanding who you are as a new creation and living in that way. This is for battle. You need truth. We're back to the word again. What has God said? You need grace, the breastplate of righteousness, as a people. You need a, what I call a daily peace walk. Our feet equipped with, with shoes that are sufficient for the gospel. Um, because I don't know that that's necessarily just going out and evangelizing. I think it's the fact that these were reckoned to be shoes for the Roman soldier, just to protect their feet, because if your feet get damaged, it's very difficult. They're there for you and us to walk day by day by day in peace. You know, we bring peace into situations. That's our kind of battle. It's quite interesting. Our battle brings peace into troubled situations. Where you go in your workplace, where you go in your neighbourhood, where you go with your friends down mums and toddlers and things, you are a person walking with feet of peace. How beautiful are the feet of those who come in the name of the Prince of Peace. Equip yourselves with those. The shield of faith, trusting God even when other things are coming against you, when the arguments around seem so strong and so arrogant and everything else. Come on, you have a shield of faith against the fiery darts. You don't let that get you down as a church. God's going to change the situation, despite that decision the other day. I do believe something is going to go on. I think what's going to happen, talking about those presbyteries, I think the kids themselves in the school, where quite rightly we're troubled about what they may get taught, I think there's going to be revivals in the school. And then they'll take it home and the parents will get sorted out. God sits in the heavens and laughs, it says in Psalm 2, a battle song. I've established my king on my holy hill of Zion. These people might say, oh, let's cast off their fetters, these Christians, they're a pain. 
They're sports balls. God laughs. He says, you better pay attention to the sun, he says, because he's asked of me and I'm going to give him the ends of the earth as his possession and the nations as his inheritance. You need to know that, those of you who stand against the living God. But like David, he says, who is this Goliath? That he stands against me? No, against the armies of the living God. This time, you see, understanding truth, putting it on, etc., having the sword, the word of God, and prayer. This time it's for battle. And note that it will use words like put on, stand firm, take up, take, and praying in the rest of this chapter is pray, prayers, praying, pray, pray. If you read it through, I think it's quite strong on praying. And we do that as a people together. And the equipment is for a corporate offensive. It's neither just individual, nor is it just defensive. We must understand, it's it's right for us to have the armour on, but no soldier in the end goes into battle just to be defensive. Sometimes they may have to be, but the intention is to beat the enemy. And we have a captain who's done that, actually. Now, it's not for us to be presumptuous, and foolish, but it is to know this, the battle is won. That's why it says things like, stand firm then, and having done all, stand firm. You know, sometimes you've done all, and you think, don't you? I do something. God says, come on, stand firm. Okay, okay. It's much easier to stand firm with brothers and sisters standing firm than just on your own. For goodness sake, don't live lives just on your own. You'll get exhausted. That's why God's put us together in delightful friendship and harmony and to help one another and support one another. And our life, our lives, worked out in our spirit-filled lives with people in the workplace, in the marriage and the family and God's family is warfare. Not against flesh and blood, but against the works of the enemy seeking to destroy the very fabric of society. Boy, is he trying hard. And he's got some, le- some way into it, as you know, in our, in our nation at the moment. Desperately need a reviving work of God. And revival, as we were saying earlier today, chatting one or two of us, revival is among God's people first. Then it comes to an awakening of those who are presently at dead in trespasses and sin. So there, there's, the, the, the wrapping up, if you like, of this amazing letter of Ephesians, those two things we've seen, we are called to be and can be and are supposed to be imitators of God, living a life of love. We can do it by understanding the truth, putting on the right clothes, putting off the old clothes, leaving the scruffy clothes off, putting on the clothes of righteousness on ourselves. We can live that life in our marriages, in our families, in our work scene. We can know the truth and the truth will set us free. We are new creation in Christ. We're created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Well, that's what we're supposed to be. And then he says, when you've lived all this, when you've been the family, when you know the blessing of God, etc., all the things we've been through, finally, it is that you are actually in a battle. Don't, don't get frightened. You're in a battle. It is won. Uh, our Saviour has won it. And you can stand firm but you must stand firm as a people in the understanding of the truth, in the understanding of God's grace, etc., etc. 
with the word of truth, the sword of truth in your hand. Joe Tossini in his book, Is There Not a Cause, says this, Paul's task was to disclose the secret that the church is at the center of the eternal purpose of God. Scripture says that through the redeeming power of Jesus, God would create a spiritual people who would bring his light into a fallen world. That was God's design from the beginning. There was no other plan, no other hope. God, in a profound miracle that we cannot fully understand, chooses to supernaturally dwell within a flawed and frail people and through them display his glory to mankind. One by one, we can't begin to reflect the majesty of God, but God has determined to have a people, a spiritual nation, spanning all continents and cultures to be a showcase of his splendor. Great stuff. And that book is called, Is There Not a Cause? Yes, there is. And the church is a cause worth living for, a cause worth dying for. Why do I know that? Jesus does both. Jesus lived for the church, died for the church, and he's living for the church. And he calls people to say, will you follow me in that? Will you rejoice in the fact that I've placed you in this amazing people who are my people, my body, my heart, my intimacy, my bride to come, my agent in the world with all that sin, in the world but not of the world bringing in the manifold wisdom of God wherever you go. Do you believe that's a cause big enough to give your life for, and I suppose, if necessary, die for? And sometimes that doesn't mean I stop breathing. Sometimes it means that certain things don't get done in your life because I'm going to die to that. It's not worth it. One of the things in the Freedom in Christ course, very helpful, he says, the scripture says, for, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And Steve Goss, who is there on the DVD, says this, if you put any other word in there but Christ, you've got to end up with loss. For me to live is my job, to die is loss. For me to live is my reputation, to die is loss. For me to live is my gifting, to die is loss. For me to live is Christ, ah, to die is gain. For me to be part of the church is gain. We give ourselves for that cause? Die to other things? Live for that, you can't do any better than that, and it's going to go on a long time, by the way. Right into eternity. I'd like us, if you please would join me in this, I want us to pray the prayer that is in Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21, and I have changed, or had changed, some of the way of praying it, because Paul says this, I kneel before the Father uh, in heaven from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. He says, I kneel and I pray this and I pray that. I've changed it so that it says we kneel. And I want, I'd like us to pray as a declaration of intent. So it runs all the way through. We pray that. We pray that. And then it comes through to the end. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Are you ready to pray that? If you, if you're happy to pray that, please stand. I'll, just tell you in a moment when we get started. And I'm, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to help us as we pray this. 
Let's pray it strongly. Don't go too fast. Let it kind of soak in there. And let it be heard by each other, by God, and by any other thing listening in. And may those latter ones tremble as they hear it. And let's pray it because it's going to do this nation good and the world good. Are we ready? We kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen us with power through his Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. We love you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us in this amazing adventure. What a high privilege to be called the children of God, and that is what we are. does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we know that he appears, we will be like him, for we'll see him as he is. Thank you for such an amazing calling, Lord. We want to be those who imitate you. We want to be those who live a life of love. We want to do that together, rejoicing together. Lord, we want to be effective in our families, in our marriages, in our work scenes, in our neighbourhoods. We want to know how to stand together when the evil one seeks to to stand against the advance of the church. We say, Lord, keep equipping us with the full armour. Thank you, it's protection against all things and it's powerful for us to advance and to see your kingdom come and your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray for your blessing, your continued and glorious and generous blessing on Jubilee here. Lord, may they grow, be effective, be strong, keep them from the evil one. Lord, help them to be effective in their work into neighborhoods and in their day-to-day life. We do pray, Lord. We say, let this church glorify you and uh, may they live in integrity and righteousness and goodness all the days of their life as you come to them with your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.